Please open your Bibles to John chapter 21. We believe to, to do what God wants us to do, we have to remember what he's told us to do, to be able to accomplish it fully. And we're going to be looking at what Jesus has taught us over the last 84 weeks is the practicality of living out this call in our lives, to know more about God, more about ourselves, and more about the world in which we live. We need to understand what Jesus asks us to do. And today we're going to look at that as we look at our return to him. Uh, the Passion Week is over, and Jesus has been murdered, but he's also been resurrected. And in his resurrection, he appears to people around him to show that he is alive. And because of his life, we have hope that we can overcome death. Today, I want to focus on a moment where Peter appears to resurrect one of his disciples in one of the most significant ways. It's found in John chapter 21. I'm going to be reading out of the contemporary English version this morning, uh, not because it's highly different from the NIV, but it just, I like how it accents certain passages. John 21, verse 4. When the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus therefore said to them, Children, you do not have any fish, do you? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will catch a fish. Or you will find a catch, rather. They cast, therefore, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. And John said to Peter, It is the Lord. Peter put on his outer garment and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out upon the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. Verse 12. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Verse 14. This was the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. In your notes this morning, I'd like you to write down Luke chapter 5. Or just highlight that, put a piece of paper in it to read later today. Luke chapter 5 is highly significant because John is paralleling the call of Peter, which is first noted in Luke chapter 5, and this wonderful moment that happens in the resurrection of Peter on a beach. What happens in Luke chapter 5 is Jesus is walking through the little town that Peter and James and John have their fishing business in, and he sees them coming in in the morning cleaning their nets. And he asks them if they've caught any fish. And they say no. Now, I'm told, I, I don't fish very often, in fact, hardly ever, but I'm told you don't ask a fisherman if he's caught fish. If he's caught fish, he'll tell you. Fisherman, is that right? Yeah, so you don't go up and say, did you catch any fish? No, if he's caught fish, he's already talking about him. And so Jesus says to Peter, have you caught any fish? And Peter says, no, we've been out all night, we've caught nothing. And Jesus said, then cast your net on the right side of the boat. And Peter says, we've just cleaned our nets and we're tired and we have nothing to show for our efforts, but if you say so, I will. And he throws the nets on the right side of the boat and the boat begins to sink because the net is full of fish. And Peter then does the most amazing thing in Luke chapter 5. He falls on his knees and he tells Jesus to get away from him because Peter is a sinner. I don't know what catching fish and sin have to do with one another. But Peter, in the moment of seeing the power of God in Jesus, he realizes who he is in comparison. And I'm here to tell you that every time you understand who Jesus is, you're going to realize what you're not. That's why some people don't want to follow Jesus. Because in the comparison game, we'll always lose. But when we understand who Jesus is and how he's always providing for us even in our failure, then we understand what Peter does and we fall to our knees and we say, Lord, I'm a sinner, and Jesus takes care of that too. This is the scene in Luke chapter 5 when Peter has that moment with Jesus. Now, what's happened since is Peter's had a horrible, horrific failure. And 
Jesus is there on the beach this particular morning, and he's talking to them, and he cries out, have you caught any fish? And they're like, err, no. And he says, well, hey, cast your net on the other side, and they cast the net on the other side, and the minute it fills with fish, John looks at Peter and says, it's him. And then Peter does something only Peter would do. He puts on his shirt and jumps in the water. He, he leaves the fish, he leaves the boat because it's Jesus, and he starts swimming to shore. Now, John seems to lead us to believe that those in the boat got to the beach before Peter did, and that just makes sense. Peter's flailing in the water, and they uh, paddle the boat up, and they get it to shore, and they get there. And here's this one moment. I find it rather funny. First hour stared at me. Let's see if you do. They get on the beach after not having caught any fish previously, and Jesus has a fire going there, and what's on the fire? fish. Jesus is funny. He didn't fish all, he didn't get up at three in the morning to, to fish in the cool of the morning before the sun came up. Jesus is just Jesus. Snapped his finger, a fish jumped in his hand, he had breakfast. And there he is in front of this fire. And John tells us something amazing that if you, if you go by it quickly, you'll miss it. He says that Jesus had a charcoal fire on the beach with some fish laid on it. Charcoal, why would you mention that? It's only two times in the entire books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that the word charcoal is used. The other time it's used is a very significant moment. It's found in John 18, 18. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire that they made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. It was a what kind of fire, church? A charcoal fire. Now you want to know why is that significant? Have you ever been around a charcoal fire compared to a gas fire? There is a distinct smell. A sense, even now to this day, when I walk by a charcoal fire, I remember the amount of times, our family vacations, because we didn't have a whole lot, were camping trips. And I remember every night, the privilege was to get the, the charcoal fire started. And my, my dad couldn't stand it, but I would douse that with as much flammable liquids as I could. And there would be a flare go up to God that there was about to be a dinner at the Christian camp. And I always remember the smell of charcoal lighting up and how wonderful that was. You'll remember smells and sounds and music were sensory creatures. John, in John 18, John is recording the moment that Peter was standing around a fire. And for the third time that night, somebody said to him, I think you follow the Jesus that's being beaten over there, don't you? And Peter said, I do not know this man and it's recorded that he cursed. He used obscenities so that no one would believe he did know Jesus. And, G and Peter walks on the beach that morning and he's soaking wet and there's a warm fire and there's fish laid on it. And he walks up to the charcoal fire and he smells the smell. And he's taken back to a night about two weeks previous when he did his worst thing ever. His most horrific, damaging moment. Verse 15, John 21. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, what did he just call him? Simon. Hadn't he renamed him Peter? Hadn't he said, I'm going to name you Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church? Now he refers to him as Simon. Is Jesus being mean, or is Jesus pointing out that sometimes our nature fights itself? He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord. Peter responded, you know that I love you. Jesus said, then tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. The word there is mourned. 
This wasn't just, ow, Jesus, stop being so mean. This broke his heart. Because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, then tend my sheep. Of all the questions that Jesus could have asked Peter that day, when they were going to finally not sweep it under the rug, but deal with what happened that Thursday night, when three times Peter had denied Jesus, Jesus' question is not, will you do better? Will you try harder? Are you sorry you did it? Jesus' question to Peter three times is what question? Do you love me? Of all the things he could have asked him, he asked him, do you love me? Not will you work harder and do better, be a better person. Are are you sorry you didn't believe me? Do you love me? It's the question he still asks today. It's the clearest question of all questions. Because if love is not involved, obedience cannot be produced. If love is not involved, there can be no faith. If love is not involved, you're not living life. You're just struggling to stay alive. So Jesus doesn't ask us questions like, do you attend church? Do you pray? Do you read your Bible? Are you a generous person? All of those questions cannot be asked if you don't ask the number one question for every one of us. Do you love me? Why would Jesus ask him these questions? Well, in Matthew 26, Jesus said that night when they were gathered around the table celebrating the Lord's Supper, Jesus said, this very night you will all fail or fall away on account of me. Jesus said, every one of you, Even the one who just left the room, Judas, all of you will fail this night. You will fall away because of me. And Peter, being Peter, says, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Peter's number one mistake is he's basing his faith on how much better he is than the guys around the table instead of the guy who built the table. He's looking at it and saying, I'm better than John, I'm better than James, and Bartholomew, who's that guy? And Jesus is like, no, no, you need to understand. Do you love me? Understand me clearly this morning. It will always be about you and Jesus and nobody else. It won't be about grandma and Jesus or your mom and Jesus or your neighbor and Jesus or your pastor and Jesus. It'll always be about you and Jesus. I cannot stand before God and say, my mom loved you. I cannot stand before God and say, my grandfather feared you. I cannot say, my Bible college professors taught about you. I have to stand up and answer this one question. Do I love Jesus enough to trust him? It's always between me and Jesus. It'll always be between you and Jesus. Peter said, I'm better than all these guys. Maybe, maybe not. Doesn't matter. Peter, do you love me? Because he asked him in verse 15, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these after his failure? Jesus said, I told you you would all fall away because of me, and you all fell away. Are you still better than these guys? Peter responds in verse 17, you know all things. I love that. He says, you know, Jesus, you know that I love you. And I think, I wonder if when he asked him the third time, if Peter didn't stop and think, he knows I denied him three times. You see, there's only one moment where Jesus was actually there when Peter denied him. Of the three, there's only one time that Jesus was there. And Luke records it. He said that Peter was standing by the fire and he cursed he, he used obscenities to get people to realize he could, he's not a holy man. He's just an average guy. Leave me alone. And it says at that moment when he said that, that Jesus was walking across the garden after having just been beaten 
by the Romans and scourged. He's being taken there, or be, excuse me, being punched by the Jewish officials in the face and beaten about the body. He's being taken out of that, a bloody, bruised mess, and he hears Peter curse, and he looks across the courtyard, and they make eye contact. I'm glad I'm not Peter in that moment. How about you? The, the worst I can remember is the time I was talking about somebody, and I looked around the corner, and they'd heard every word, and there they were. And I'd give my life to erase those moments. Indelible hatred of myself. Disappointment in the lower character that I chose to live with. And Peter's reminded. And on the third time, it says Peter grieved. He may have even wept. Because at that moment, he knows that Jesus heard all three of his denials. But here's the beautiful part of Peter's uh, resurrection. With Jesus, failure is never final. Instead of Jesus saying, Peter, you loser, three times you could have said you knew me, and all three times you said you didn't know me, get away from me. I can't use you because you chose not to trust me. Instead, we celebrate today a Jesus who comes to us in our worst moments and offers us resurrection. He says to Peter, I'm going to change your name again, and I need you to answer the one question that will allow me to change your name. Do you love me? It's the question of the day. Peter's failure is hanging in the air. And Jesus said to him the very first time, do you unconditionally love me more than any man who ever walks the earth? And Peter says, no, I love you like my brother. And then Jesus says, Peter, do you love me like your brother? Peter says, you know I love you like a brother. He says, Peter, I'm gonna ask you one more time. Do you love me like a brother? Peter says, Lord, you know everything. And you already know the answer to that question. I won't compare myself to anybody else, but I do love you. And notice what Peter or what Jesus just did for Peter. Jesus did not lower the standard. But Jesus doesn't want us making promises. He wants us giving proof. When you look at the New Testament church, they weren't noted for their doctrine, although doctrine is important. They weren't noted for their community impact, although that's vitally important. They were known for their love. And Jesus said, "They will know you're my disciples if you love one another." It wasn't how strong their arguments were how profound they felt that they were compared to the lost world. He said, ultimately, it comes down to, I'm asking you to prove yourself by love. And then he tells Peter how he can show his love. He says in verse 15, feed or pasture my lambs. Make sure my people are put in the right place. Verse 16, take care or shepherd my sheep. Verse 17, feed or pasture my sheep. He says, Peter, I don't want promises. I want proof. Live your life with love. Live your life on purpose. Don't just make bold proclamations so the world will go, wow, Peter was the strongest disciple of all. That's why Jesus said, no, no. What I want you to do is take care of my lambs who are defenseless, who need someone to care for them. Make your life more than just about you. Make it about others. And this makes sense because in Matthew 22, Jesus was asked a question, what is a life worth living? And his answer was, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And you will live out all of my commands for you. All of them. To love. So how do we live this out? Well, the way we love our fellow man. It's really that simple. He didn't say to Peter, go save people and leave them to themselves. He said, no, go win people to my kingdom and then take care of them. Love them. Provide for them. Think of someone outside of yourself. In John 4... John wrote these words 
Quoting Jesus, if someone says, I love God and hate his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Why would we study for 84 weeks the teachings of Jesus throughout the Gospels? For this simple reason, to understand who God is, who we are, and what kind of world we're living in. And Jesus has told us, you have a God who has loved you, and you are to love God by loving your neighbor, so we can change this world from a world of hatred and division to a world of unity around Jesus Christ's love. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. And if we say we love God, but we will not sacrifice for our neighbors, we will not sacrifice for a lost world, then we don't know the God we say we love. Because that's exactly what he did. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. That's the only example we need. You want to know what the message is? Love. You see, it's how we live out our love for fellow man and the way we live a life controlled by love. Something interesting happens here in verse 18. And what I want to point out, kind of comically, I understand, but sincerely, Peter never stops being Peter. For those of you that give your life to Jesus Christ, my friend Adam says it all the time, you're still going to wake up and have the same bills tomorrow. You're going to have the same marriage tomorrow, the same kids tomorrow, and the same friends tomorrow. Jesus is changing your future by dealing with your present. This is what he says to Peter. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. And doesn't that sound like Peter? But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Now John, parenthetically, points out what this would mean because John's writing after the fact. John says, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. And this is where Peter is Peter. Peter turned and saw that John was following them. And when Peter saw John, he asked Jesus, Lord, what about him? Now I have three brothers. I understand exactly what that is. That is, Mark, it's time for you to go to bed. What about Stephen Scott? At which point my father would always answer with all great love and disinterest, I didn't talk to Stephen Scott, did I? I asked you to go to bed. And Peter says, what about John? And Jesus says, if I want him to remain until I return, alive until I return, what's that to you? You must, what church? Remember, it's only about you and Jesus. It's not about anybody else in Jesus. It's only about you and Jesus. And what's interesting here is that Jesus knew that at Jesus' crucifixion, Peter failed him. But Jesus says to Peter, at Peter, at your own crucifixion, you won't fail me. When I was dying on the cross, Peter, you denied me. Peter, when you die on the cross, because tradition records that Peter was crucified upside down because he would not be honored by dying the same way Jesus did. And Jesus said, at my crucifixion, you denied me. At your crucifixion, you won't. Peter was resurrected by the love of Jesus. And so can you and I. And so can those we work with, live with, neighbor with. They all can be won by love. If the church will step out and choose to pastor, shepherd, care for others. 2 Corinthians 5.14, the Apostle Paul wrote, The love of Christ controls us. It is the question of the gospel. It is the moment of return. He has allowed us to come home. Will we come because of love or obligation? Will we become love or duty? Love or fear? Love or nothing. It's what it's all about. The love of Christ controls us. And it's our 
our hope, that the love of Jesus can change our path, can change our lives, can change who we are. This morning, if you don't know the love of Jesus Christ, it is as simple as bowing as Peter did in Luke 5 and call out, I am a sinner who needs you to save me. And I will show you in scripture the promises that come with your confession. This morning, let's stand together and sing a love song to our Jesus.